Hello, welcome to the Paper Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan James. I'm excited today. We've got Keon Sureshta. He's he's the CEO of Cryptify. Now, we're going to go over in this episode what a custodian is, what a liquidity provider is, and how Cryptify works and navigates in order to offer your customers best of class purchases for cryptocurrency in your native online and mobile banking. Cash rules everything around us. Money is a tool. It shouldn't confound us. We show you the do's and don'ts, the ins and outs. The financial world is changing. We give you the roadmap when you follow the paper. Watch your paper stack with innovative thinking that's sure to have an impact. We give facts because the more you know, we'll help you navigate this road and avoid potholes. Hello and welcome today to the Paper Podcast. Today, I'm excited. I've got Kian Sreshta. He is CEO of Cryptify. And Kia has been in the IT fintech landscape since 2011. He was business development VP of a startup called SaveUp in 2015. And in 2016, he acquired a background checking company that focused on regulated industries such as nuclear and financial services, where he led and built blockchain native database to store records. And then later in 2019, he co-founded Cryptify, which provides cryptocurrency services to banks, credit union, and other financial related companies. Keon, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited yeah, to be thanks. here. Yeah, uh, me as well. I'm excited seeing what uh, Cryptify is building them right out now. You know, from our previous conversations, um, you know, every, everything that you guys are doing is right in line with what we're thinking and where you know, banks should be in the future for offering cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, tell me about crypto. It's been a very interesting journey, you know, having uh, came from, well, like, like you mentioned, the, the first fintech startup that I did was a traditional uh, call it maybe a, a banking style um, startup where our primary client base was, was credit unions. And so, um, you know, since then I did a lot more in the crypto native blockchain world. And um, and then, like you said, 2019, um, having started Cryptify really, um, you know, with, with the, the mindset of merging those two worlds together. And, you know, early on, I, I had the realization that the, you know, the traditional banking world and the crypto world that just could not be more different. And, you know, I think that that was what was exciting to me at the time is, uh, you know, I saw the challenge of uh, what was going to be ahead of us in terms of needing to really marry these two ecosystems together. And, um, you know, that's, that's been an interesting road over the last few years. And, where we're at now, I think it's a lot different than where it was even a year ago. I mean, uh, you know, the first, really the first six months when we, we started this was really just ideation and really trying to figure out, you know, how we could deliver cryptocurrency services to a heavily regulated um, bank, for example, and getting the right pieces in place from tech, from a technology standpoint, from a, um, from a liquidity standpoint, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. And uh, and also from a from a compliance standpoint, of course, was was incredibly challenging. So it took us a while before we even started building, and then uh, really wasn't until uh, maybe middle of 2021 um, when we started to actually socialize um, our initial product, which 
um, I guess I'll, I'll talk about briefly. So, yeah. um, so, so it makes sense here, but yeah, our, our initial product that we built and we were one of the first and, uh, you know, even the last year we saw some new entrance into the space, but we built a, a cryptocurrency product that integrated with existing digital banking providers. So any bank that was using, uh, any of the digital banking providers that were integrated with such as Q2, Alchemy, Bano, um, and a number of others that we're talking to right now as mm-hmm. well could easily turn on a user experience to allow banking customers to buy, sell, and hold cryptocurrency from existing web and mobile apps. And really the approach that we took was to replicate an experience that the banking customers were already getting on third-party platforms. You know, a lot of the bankers that uh, we so had you're looking for to, customers once they're an existing online banking and mobile on their banking site to be able to purchase cryptocurrency it, seamlessly. Exactly. Exactly. And the, now, the sp- how did the bankers during the ideology, how were the bankers receptive to this? <laughs> well, um, at first, they weren't at all, and there was there was a few moments where we had to um, have some pretty deep conversations internally about you know is this a path that we want to continue down? But I think everyone here had so much conviction that you know Web three is going to be coming to banking sooner than later mm-hmm. that we continued on. So I mean, yeah, at, at the beginning, no one had wanted to do had you know twenty in twenty twenty, no one wanted to, uh, anything to do with cryptocurrency you know as as a banker <laughs> and. Uh, it's, it's crazy how fast the space moves because just in, uh, you know, in like a 12 month period, it went from being this very scary topic to something that a lot of bankers were studying. You know, we, we talked to a lot of banks that uh, uh, were actually studying the, the capital flight that was leaving their bank and going to these third party platforms. And what they started to notice was these third party platforms that were originally just crypto we're now crypto and banking. And so the writing was really on the wall and it still is on the wall. That, so is uh, that why they changed their tune within a year? I, I, that is my thesis. Yes. And of course, no one has came out and told me that was the reason why. But, you know, part of my job was trying to make sure that the banks understood that they were losing customers, they were losing deposits. And, you know, once a customer transfers their funds over to using Robinhood as an example, because I think they were one of the first crypto platforms to actually launch a, uh, and of course, Robinhood started as a stock trading platform, but once mm-hmm. they launched crypto shortly after, they launched their uh, their debit card and their checking account. And so, you know, you started to see some of these banking products um, come into play with Robinhood. And then you see companies like SoFi launch crypto. And of course, SoFi competes directly with banks for all the lending products. And so once, once a customer transfers funds over to SoFi, for example, you know, why do they need to get a loan with the bank? You know, why can't they just use SoFi? And so I think that's So are you really- seeing just the larger regional banks or seeing banks of all sizes? now interested in cryptocurrency. I, I think it's really banks of all sizes. And it, it's, okay. yeah, it's interesting how uh, crypto has became more of a priority, I think, for um, for, for a lot of the bigger banks in particular, mm-hmm. um, who have more resources to be able to study it, understand it. I think part of the value that we provide to some of the you know smaller regional banks is the education aspect of it, because you know, a lot of them, I mean, even today, um, I mean, everyone's knowledge is really all over the place with crypto, as you can probably imagine. And, uh, you know, even today, you know, you talk to some community bankers that don't even know, you know, what crypto is. So you have to start there. And then 
um, educating them on, you know, why it's uh, something that sh- they should seriously be considering now. And because it's all over the news, I think we sh- we're starting to get more attention of uh, bankers um, now than we did, you know, say two years ago. So, And I'm seeing more of it at banking conferences, but I still see it very limited to a couple companies that are offering through the, the banking channels. And now I see some of the bankers are, you know, if you're missing out and they want to lo- jump on board and we need to get into you know, what banks need to ask when they're looking to add this to their online banking, because, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned as a bank, you know, you need to not add this to your product mix just to check a box. You need to actively uh, pursue it. You need to monitor it and you need to have it very fluid in your online banking and your mobile app banking. So, you know, your customers can easily purchase it. They know what they're doing. It displayed well. Um, you have got all the compliance aspects in. They know it is not guaranteed. It is not insured, and go from there. But um, yeah, let's let's start from the beginning. I mean, I'd like to assume that audience understands, you know, what cryptocurrency is, or if they don't, at least know that you know their customers are buying cryptocurrency and they're storing it and they're using it to uh, store value and to purchase product services. Yep. So you know, what are the you know, what should be bank, what banks, what should banks be asking? Yeah. So having a long-term strategy in place, I think is, is really important. I think I see um, a lot of banks scrambling just to turn on a crypto solution so they can compete. And um, some of them, I don't think are really, um, and it's really not to anyone. It's not their own fault for um, not having the big picture in mind. But you know, if you don't come from the the world of crypto, then you don't really know what's possible and what's coming. And so, what we've tried to do is educate them on um, you know what you need now, and then what you need to start thinking about and planning for the future. Because the, the crypto providers or vendors that you're working with today may not be best equipped to make sure that you're best positioned to compete now and in the, in the future right so that's mm-hmm. uh you know what we try and help educate bankers on is uh you know the the core building blocks to any crypto solution or at least any retail crypto solution now is the buy sell hold use case right You're offering like you're saying offering a way for their customers to seamlessly purchase crypto directly from their checking or maybe savings accounts in their existing um, digital banking environments and then once you actually buy that crypto there's a lot more that you can do with it and um you know the roadmap that we have is uh you know is one that's going to position bankers to uh, remain competitive from that core buy sell hold use case and then also lead into um, some of the more interesting and more um, advanced use cases like you mentioned payments so um you know, if you want to unpack some of that more, we'd be happy yeah, to. But let's um, do that. So, um, let's start. You got banking co- uh, customer that's in there, online banking, and they're looking to purchase, you know, a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, behind the scenes, where is that going? Where's yep. where is that hundred dollars getting transferred? How does that going through your services and custodians, wallets? Yep. You know, start from yep. the beginning. Yep. So I think before we discuss that workflow in particular, it's important to understand who the players are in the equation. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, a custodian, and uh, you know how how's that order being filled. And so, um, as of now, in you know today's regulatory environment, it's very challenging to offer the like native crypto experience that a user might get on um, uh, you know on Coinbase, for example, where once they buy crypto, they can send that crypto 
to another party. And the, the main challenge there is the travel rule, where uh, the travel rule basically says that anyone that you're sending crypto to, so a crypto native transaction, so if I buy some Bitcoin and I send it to somebody, I need to KYC that individual that I'm, I'm sending it to or anyone that I receive crypto from. Um, I need to KYC where that's coming from. And the real challenge there is because it's decentralized. That's the whole spirit behind crypto mm -hmm. and, and blockchain is you can't block those transactions. So if you have someone um, either accidentally or intentionally sending you crypto from, let's say, from Russia, that's not something that you can block. And so if one of your users receives a crypto deposit from somebody in Russia, how are you going to KYC that person? And that's that's a real challenge for offering the true hot wallet type of experience, which is why a custodian is essential to the equation. And so it actually is legal right now for banks to be able to custody their own digital assets. But yep. in doing so, um, you know, banks would need to keep that on their balance sheet and having a lot of conversations with bankers, it's not something that banks want to do or have the appetite to do now. However, in the future, um, you know, part of the, uh, just to go back to the product real quick, I mean, part of the value that we provide is we integrate with best in class digital asset custodians that can custody these digital assets on behalf of banks and on behalf of banking customers. But also on our roadmap is we're going to be integrating in an enterprise wallet into our back end to allow banks that want to custody their own digital assets to be able to do so from our platform without having to change technology vendors in order to turn on custody themselves. So okay. um, let's go back and make sure yeah. everybody understands the definition yeah. of a custodian and what the custodian yeah. actually is. Yeah. So uh, a custodian is going to be the party that's legally um, responsible for holding the crypto on behalf of all of your customers. So when a customer buys crypto from your digital banking environment, they're not actually holding it in their own wallet. It's actually being held in a wallet by whoever that custodian is. And so technically the custodian owns the crypto, correct? You're almost like legally the right the, to yeah, it. Great, great question. So legally, yeah. um, the end user, the customer um, owns the crypto. And whenever they actually agree to the terms and conditions, that's what's displayed to them, that it's being held by a third-party custodian and not the bank itself in most cases. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep. All right, let's move on to – now we've got the custodian. Yep. Now, as the um, bank's customer is purchasing a cryptocurrency, who is fulfilling, let's, let's say, that, that order? Yep. And this is, uh, you know, this was a really interesting challenge for uh, for me and for us here at Cryptify to unpack whenever we were first getting going. And there's a lot of different options and ways where you can have uh, cryptocurrency order fulfillment. And the orders by, so I guess let me take a quick step back. So mm -hmm. what most people don't realize is that a lot of the exchanges out there, middle market exchanges that is, so um, they're not the ones actually filling all of the orders on the exchange itself. And that's a function of not having enough buyers and sellers to efficiently match um, orders in uh, every single transaction. So what a lot of the middle market or smaller exchanges do is they'll plug in what's called a market maker or commonly referred to as a liquidity provider, which provides liquidity and fills all of the orders that are being placed on those exchanges. Now, the bigger exchanges, they don't need these liquidity providers and market makers, but the middle market or the 
middle market ones do. And so what a lot of people don't realize is these exchanges a lot of times are really just a middleman between the liquidity provider and the end user. And the exchange is oftentimes marking up whatever price they're getting from um, the liquidity provider, right? Yeah, so they're, they're hedging the risk in case the fluctuation changes. In exactly, between exactly. And mm-hmm. the same, the same thing exists on other platforms as well. And I, um, I don't know how the inner workings of other companies like Robinhood and PayPal uh, work exactly, but I, but I do know that Robinhood and PayPal also do not have hot wallets, and um, they're more than likely plugging in a, you know, a liquidity provider into their environment because they're not keeping an inventory of crypto on hand and to be able to fill all those orders as they're being placed by their users. And they could probably dig through, you know, their S1s and uh, and figure that yeah. out. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, that, that's typically how, how it works. So there's a third party company that's filling those orders. And, you know, what's really important to note is from my experience, I did a lot of consulting with these sorts of companies uh, prior to starting Cryptify. And from my experience, uh, and it makes sense why there's not any sort of contractual language that would obligate a liquidity provider to maintain a uh, like a max margin or max what's called a spread. So if you hear the term spread, that means it's really the difference between the buy and the sell price, which is how mm-hmm. liquidity providers make their money. Right. And so if they're not held to any certain margin or any certain spread, then you need to have some flexibility to be able to swap in or swap out your liquidity provider if they're not offering competitive rates. And uh, um, does, is, that, is that making sense? Well, I think to bring it back to you know what bankers are used to, same with stocks going through a broker. If they're purchasing Coca-Cola at $100, well, if they were to buy on Robinhood, maybe it's at a higher price because they're not paying a trade fee. Maybe they're going through yep. somewhere else. So they're, yeah. Each liquidity provider is going to have a different buy and sell for what they're going to make it the difference. So, yes. Exactly. And they're all over the place. You mentioned Robinhood. That's a great example because Robinhood, of course, is not a charity. They are making money on these transactions. And so if you compare the price of crypto on Robinhood to a different platform, it's almost always going to be higher on Robinhood because they're not transparent about their pricing. It's the same thing with crypto ATMs, which is... uh, not to get off topic with crypto ATMs, but I, I know Ryan, mm-hmm. you're very familiar with this space too. And most yep. crypto ATM companies are also not tr- uh, transparent with their fees and their margins can be as high as 25%. And so if you compare the price at a crypto ATM to a online exchange, for example, it's almost always going to be more competitive at an online exchange. So yeah, sourcing the right liquidity Correct. providers is incredibly important. So you're providing the best value to your customers because if they if they log on to your digital banking app and they're the first thing that I would do is um, because I'm you know I personally am involved in trading crypto. I'm passionate about it and. I'm going to check the price on what I see on your bank's app or my bank's app versus what I'm currently seeing on the other platforms I'm trading on, right? So if uh, I log into my banking app and I see the price to buy Bitcoin, for example, is higher um, through my bank than what it is on Coinbase or Crypto.com or Binance or anywhere else, then why would I even um, you know, transfer my money back from those third-party platforms to my bank? to buy crypto because the price I'm getting at this third party provider is still more competitive. Right. So and bank that's going to make a to, difference. You know, yeah, if but, a bank wound retain their higher net worth customers and they're looking to purchase 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, that little bit makes a big difference. So, you know, they're going to be looking at all options. They're not going to just accept what your, you know, your app is telling you they're, they're going to quote it from several sources. 
Exactly. Uh And so, and it's incredibly important to get started off on the right foot as well, because if you're trying to win your customer base's cryptocurrency business and you come out of the gate with the wrong liquidity provider, then, you know, a lot of times you only get one shot with that customer. And if they don't start buying on, you know, through your bank, then they're um, likely not going to transfer those funds back anytime in the future either. So, um, so yeah, we, we think that's a, you know, an incredible, incredibly important piece um, to the puzzle, and which is why, as well, we come to the table pre-integrated with uh, best-in-class liquidity providers. So having the right custodian and the right liquidity provider and the right technology provider are really the three key players to making sure that you're getting the best um, value uh, for your customers. And so to be clear, Cryptify is just the technology layer and the value that we bring is um, coming pre-integrated with your digital banking provider, the liquidity providers and the custodians to make making turning on the cryptocurrency experience very seamless, both for your administrative staff at the bank and also for um, you know your customers at the bank as well. And, uh, now, where are you seeing the greatest risk lies with um, the bank? So being able to make sure that, number one, you have the right legal structure in place that can um, you know, make sure that you're covered now and also in the future. You know, if you're going to be swapping in and out, um, you know, custodians and liquidity providers, which you inevitably will, um, you know, our our CFO here was previously CFO at a different crypto company prior to coming to Cryptify. And, you know, he managed a network of liquidity providers. And um, before we talk about the legal um, uh, aspects associated with this, one other important piece I forgot to mention um, for the custodians and the liquidity providers is a lot of the custodians actually have what's called a liquidity aggregation service where the custodian will manage the liquidity providers on behalf of the bank. So the bank doesn't need to settle with, you know, five, 10 different liquidity providers on a daily basis. And so if the bank's working with a liquidity aggregation solution through a custodian, they can simplify the legal relationship and only face off to a custodian. And then that custodian would in turn um, ship those orders out to a different liquidity provider for every transaction based on whoever's quoting the best price for each specific transaction. So the bank still gets the benefit of having a network of liquidity providers, but only has to work with a single party um, in the custodian. So that that great greatly helps simplify things from the get go. So does that okay, make sense? Okay, so that's an emphasis where the bank needs to do some deep dive vendor due diligence on the custodian relationship. Exactly. Um, look at their longevity in the um, in the industry. Look at their financials. See that are profitable. Look that they yep. have working capital that they're funding. I mean, to me, that seems like the custodians they need to not be the the startup that are burning through revenue month after month. I mean, yep. that needs to be a, a company that is actually has positive earnings and has a future. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Could not be more important. So yeah, uh, vendor due diligence is something that we actually assist banks with as well. So uh, we've done our due diligence on all the custodians um, that, that we work with and well, we can send that over to any bank that is interested in partnering with us. And then of course we encourage them to do their own due diligence outside of that as well. Um, 
So yeah, the, the other piece that comes into play from a legal aspect is the is KYC, right? So anytime a, um, a user is going to be creating a new crypto account, they need to go through a KYC process just like they do when they um, set up a bank account. And part of the value that banks can provide by turning this on is they've already KYC the customer whenever they've created their bank account initially. And there's a regulation out there that says that two regulated entities can rely on one another's um, uh, KYC process. You, you're, you're laughing. You feel like you've uh, you experienced this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, that helps simplify KYC quite a bit because a lot of customers um, and ones that especially aren't um, quite as familiar with crypto and don't have that much trust with some of these third-party platforms that are selling crypto. You know, my, my dad, for example, um, you know, he um, got into crypto just because you know I. I've been very passionate about it. That's all we talk about, uh, you know, over over the holidays. And so he finally said he's going to buy some crypto for the first time last year. And he went to go sign up for a Coinbase account and was not comfortable at all giving away his personal information, his IDs, all that to a um, to a crypto platform. Right. But he trusts mm-hmm. his bank. And so he's already done that with his bank. And so um, KYC does not need to be done for a second time, um, which is a huge value to the bank and to the bank's customer. For offering a crypto solution natively. Now, I will say uh, the custodians do need to reserve the right to recheck KYC periodically. It's usually once a year. And so, you know, a year after, say, turning on a crypto program, there could be issues with a KYC recheck. And then, um, you know, the banking customer may have their crypto account shut down if there's issues. Uh, with now, that. does your but, father understand if the value of the crypto he purchased decreased? that that wasn't the bank's fault, even though he purchased it through? Well, he hasn't bought it through a bank yet, so I'm really not <laughs> okay. sure. Uh, but that is, I mean, yeah, brand dilution is uh, arguably one of the biggest risks for banks to be able to adopt crypto. I mean, what I tell every banker is they're going to buy it anyway. So whether they buy Correct. it from you or someone else, um, it, it's going to happen. And you know, I think we've seen the volatility, you know, especially in these last couple months here, even within this last week of uh, recording this on uh, May 31st, by the yeah, way. I was and, just going to uh, say that. Thank you. Uh, um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge there. But, you know, part of the ways that we try and combat that is through um, offering robust education, which is a, a, another um, piece of value that we provide. So every uh, uh, piece of education that a user may be getting on a third-party platform today you know, we've sort of recreated that to offer natively through the bank's um, digital banking environment as well. So before they buy crypto, um, the very first time they log on um, to our widget within the digital banking environment, for example, uh, we hit them right in the face with the education. We ask them where their knowledge level is at with crypto and we help them understand, um, you know, number one, the benefits of buying crypto through your bank. And then number two, you know, if they're not familiar with crypto, like what is crypto? Why does it have value? You know, what's what are the different coins that are out there? You know, why, uh, um, you know, why is Bitcoin interesting? Um, you know, how is Bitcoin different than Ethereum? So on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. So education is at their fingertips. Yep. So I don't necessarily know that uh, every user, I mean, there's there's obviously going to be situations where customers lose money and they, they're going to want to call their bank and blame their bank for it. But there again, um, that's part of the value that we provide too. So we do outsourced customer service. And so we'll field any of those uh, crypto calls that a bank is getting from uh, from their customers about this. So, Good. so um, you know, from what I see, some of the, the, the market leaders in this space right now, they're banking. Um, 
it, it appears that they are their own liquidity providers. And so what I see is they share some of the, the revenue of the purchase of cryptocurrency with the FI. But what the FI doesn't know is what the price is on the backside. So, you know, banks, you got to ask that question when you're, when you're looking to add this product, you cannot um, just assume that that liquidity provider, that one liquidity provider is going to give the absolute best rate ongoing for your customer, you know, cause there could, be, there could be arbitrage on the backside of it, you know, the same way with selling of, uh, I th- bankers are now all familiar with mortgages. You, you know, they can make money on the points up front, um, the services, the doc prep. And then when they go to resell it or package it and resell it, then they make, you know, percentage on that backside too. It's the same thing with cryptocurrency. You've got the upfront fees, but there is a price. They could have paid way more value of that crypto at that given time because the uh, liquidity provider had a much bigger hedge. So, uh, and that's, you know, you're offering that product later on, you know, there's going to be a, a, your high net worth customers are going to see that and they are going to leave because it's not going to be best of class. And I'm all for, if you're going to offer a product, it needs to be best in class for your customers because they will wise up very soon. Yep. That is absolutely right. And, you know, as I think that's really just uh, uh, the challenge in general with doing due diligence or vetting vendors in a completely new industry. You know, a lot of times bankers don't know the right questions to ask. And so it's not the banker's fault, uh, but there's just a lack of transparency in cryptocurrency order fulfillment, like you're saying. So um, every banker should ask, you know, show me your current price of Bitcoin. Show me your current price of Ethereum, if you're offering Ethereum, right? And then compare that to, you know, you can, you can get on Coinbase or Binance or crypto. I mean, there's so many other platforms that uh, you should be comparing that price to. And if that price that you're being quoted um, from your crypto vendor is not competitive from what you're seeing on these third-party platforms, then you should probably, um, you know, ask the questions at least, why is that? And then, you know, consider, is this really the best partner to be going with? And, um, you know, that that's not always going to be uh, static uh, as well. And that's something that really um, important to note. You know, if uh, if the price is really competitive now, like great, but what happens if it's not, you know, a year from now? Um, you know, can I use a different liquidity source or a liquidity provider if I'm working with uh, um, you as a, a cryptocurrency vendor, right? And so, um, yeah, those are some important questions I think that bankers should be asking before they actually make a decision on who they work with from crypto. And as they purchase, how good, you know, customers looking to purchase $1,000 of USD to Bitcoin and they're comfortable with that purchase price. How quickly do they have to exercise that? Um, you know, this may not be the correct term, but option. To, to buy that crypto? Correct. So um, I think I'm understanding your question correctly. If I'm not, um, let me know. But so uh, the the price of crypto, I mean, the markets are 24 seven, 365, as yes. you know. So um, at least with uh, with our platform, the prices update every five seconds. And so, you know, by the time they decide that they want to buy uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever the coin is, um, you know, they're going to click on that. And then by the time they get to the confirmation screen, likely five seconds has gone by. So the price is likely changed. And even when they're sitting on that confirmation screen, at least on our app, um, you know, they're going to be seeing that price update in real time. So it's really just a function of whenever they click confirm that order is automatically going to be routed and that price will be honored. Now the bank doesn't actually settle that transaction 
until um, the settlement uh, window closes, which could be the next day. But the user will see that balance reflected in their um, their account immediately. So I don't know if that did that answer your question. Yes, that that did. So within that time, as they're um, looking to purchase, your software is searching through all the liquidity providers set up to give the best price. Exactly. So, and that's how our integration works. So we, we take the, uh, the streaming quotes from the liquidity aggregation source or directly from a liquidity provider. It's a function of whatever the bank, um, who the bank wants to use. And so if they're using a liquidity aggregation service, which most of them are to start, um, then yeah, we just take the streaming quote from, from that. And on the back end, that liquidity aggregation service is um, constantly refreshing the price quotes as well. And they're only advertising the best price that they see from whoever the liquidity provider is at every single five second interval, if that makes sense. Yes. All right. To bring it all together, it looks like there's, there's four total parties. You've got the FI, the bank, or the credit union, financial institution. You've got Cryptify, which is the uh, software service routing everything. You've got liquidity provider and the custodian provider. Yep. And the liquidity provider can be wrapped up inside of the custodian as well as the liquidity aggregation service just to simplify the legal nature of everything. So what we typically have is a, a tri-party agreement, with, uh, which is between the bank uh, or the credit union and uh, Cryptify and then the, uh, the custodian that's also providing the um, liquidity services. Now, at this time, is just the cold wallet? Correct. Yes. Okay. And you may have seen too, like Robinhood announced like a wait list for their, uh, um, for their hot wallet, because right now in Robinhood, for example, it's all, you know, cold storage as well. Um, and that wait list is a mile long. I'm actually one of the people on that wait list <laughs> and I have not gotten any updates in the last, I think three or four months since I signed up for it. So I'll be very surprised if they actually launch that this year, like they said they're going to. Um, but yeah, our hot wallet solution, um, will be coming out later in 2023, likely like Q3 or Q4. And there's a lot of regulatory and compliance things that need to catch up. Um, before I think any bank would be comfortable offering that. Um, anyways, I'm curious, Ryan, I mean, you're yeah. obviously the CEO of a bank. So um, how, how do you think about so, all that? I, I mean, I, I see banks that are going to the cold wallet because they understand it. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, you know, my customer is going to purchase say a thousand dollars and whether it goes up or down when it offer goes back, the off ramp back to the FI, it's coming back to the same bank. So they're mm -hmm. just seeing it there and they feel safe so they can make, uh, a little bit of percentage on the buy sell right there. Um, for my nature, you know, <laughs> at some point I would like customers to be able to have that hot wallet, to be able to uh, leave, leave it there um, and purchase their goods and services from that wallet. I mean, yep. that is the whole intent. Now, in order to do that, of course, what bankers, most bankers don't realize is, it is so much more visible and so much more information from the bank side that we can look at as opposed to cash. You know, once yep. you, you know, when cash comes into the bank and deposited bank, you have no idea where that cash came from. Yep. You know, you're looking at the volume of cash and you can ask your customer where this cash came from, but you know, do they know, do you without a doubt know where it came from? No. But in cryptocurrency, you have a much better insight of where that crypto came to. So if I have a customer using us as an off-ramp, um, I can run, you know, the blockchain and the wallets that it came from through a cipher chase, a chain analysis, an elliptic, and see if it came from known 
bad entities. And so you get insight. And then if we have customers that are purchased in crypto through us, we can, you can, you can monitor their wallets and see what they did after the fact. So maybe their activity that they performed at the FI bank level through ACHs, wires, cash, checks, that may not be suspicious of nature. You can monitor those transactions, but what they did with their crypto afterwards, that could be suspicious. So, I mean, it's just so much more information that is being provided. So, yep. I mean, if no, I you have... If you have the monitor tools, if you have it connected to your AML software, if you understand the, you know, the ecosystem, you know, I think it's definitely something more embrace. And as regulators actually set back and could see that they have a better view of where transactions are going, money going, they would like it a lot better. I, I completely agree. And that's, um, you know, a, a macro issue in the industry right now is, you know, you see all these headlines about um, you know, crypto being used for illicit activities, which is um, which is true. It definitely is. But uh, cash has been used for those same illicit activities for you know, since the beginning of mankind, I think. And so, um, like you're saying, if you can mm -hmm. actually track you know, what addresses that crypto is being sent to, you're going to eventually develop a, uh, a big picture of you know, who is making, um, you know, legitimate transactions with crypto and who's not. And you mentioned, uh, you know, integrating some of the AML vendors into this mix. And there's already companies that are doing this. Like there's some very impressive solutions that are on the market right now from companies like Chainalysis, CypherTrace, Accuant. And so, um, you know, and a lot of them have like risk scores as well already. Oh, we, um, we actively yeah. use their technology and it's wonderful. The insight that we get is amazing. Yeah. It, it really is. And so yeah. we're partnered with those two. And so the other the other product that we have um, is a corporate um, treasury management and, and payments platform to allow banks to be able to accept crypto as a payment for things. Um, the few use cases there in particular, like one, if you're just paying off, uh, paying off a loan, doing so with crypto. Um, and then any really large ticket item can also be done with crypto as well, including real estate. I'm um, talking to a bank in Utah, actually, that does a big aviation bank. And uh, they have a lot of customers that request to buy you know, aircrafts with Bitcoin. And so um, we're plugging in those vendors into that corporate um, crypto solution as well um, to be able to manage that. And that's going to be coming um, Q1 of 2023, which we're pretty excited about. So, Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. individual businesses at the bank level will be able to accept crypto payments through their online banking. Is, yep. is that the goal? Yep, both. So the bank itself and then also the bank's merchants or, uh, yeah, business banking relationships. Now, if a business is afraid of, okay, no, I, I mean, the benefits of a business to be able to accept cryptocurrency for the product or services, they eliminate chargeback rates, you know, from yep. being able to accept credit cards. So, I mean, yep. where I see it is large ticket items, you know, 1,000 plus 20,000, 30,000. You don't have to worry about later on down the road fraud or, you know, consumer fraud that that customer said, I didn't purchase that. Now, you will have to worry about that, you know, somebody else's Bitcoin that was used in that course, but yep. you do eliminate chargebacks by accepting cryptocurrency for your product and services. And, you know, on the banking side, then again, you have another viewpoint of where that cryptocurrency came from. But if they're worried about the market risk, fluctuation what can businesses do to eliminate the uh 
you know, the, the fluctuation. Yep. So um, that's actually part of our uh, secret sauce that we're pretty excited about building right now. So we have a, a an auto convert feature um, that we're building in. So anytime that we see a cryptocurrency transaction hit the blockchain, we'll immediately route an order to a liquidity provider to convert that into whatever the native currency is. So US dollars in, in most cases, right? So um, for every single transaction, you know, in order to make that happen for every single transaction, we actually hash a new um, wallet address okay. for the user. So every transaction has a unique wallet address. So um, you know the bank or the merchant will have a set of uh, custodial addresses that they can accept crypto to, and then um, you know if one of those addresses is like one two three four, every single transaction would have a, a new address hash. So it'd be one two three four five or one two three four six so on and so forth. And so each uh, transaction that wallet serves as the unique identifier. So we know like Ryan, if you're you know buying something from me, I know you're the only one that has that specific address. And so once I see okay. a transaction hit the blockchain going to that address, I know it's coming from you, right? So. Yeah, and that was the thing early on as we started monitoring um, uh, customers that were purchasing uh, crypto through or Bitcoin operated companies. You may have an individual and you're like, wait a second, they're sending money to multiple wallets. Well, you know, the Coinbase's and the cash apps, I mean, they're issuing um, individual wallets each time too when they're accepting it. And it, yep. it is good practice doing that. So, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, and that's, uh, you know, something we're really excited about um, is offering it more as a, a payment vehicle. And I think it's still early there, but I think, um, you know, it's a secular trend and eventually we're going to move to a purely digital world. And so the banks that can adopt that faster um, are going to put themselves at a you know better competitive advantage um, early on. So you know, there's already a lot of people, um, especially for, for high ticket items. You know, you can you can buy a Tesla right now with or actually I don't know if you can. I think they might turn that off. But um, you, know, <laughs> you, you currently can buy uh, high ticket items like you're saying with crypto. And if you're your bank or your merchant and you're not offering that um, as an option, then you may lose a customer. And so, um, yeah, it's important for banks to and merchants alike to start thinking about, you know, how they can go about accepting crypto as a payment. We'll still manage awesome. that risk because, yeah, price volatility is a big concern. But if you can auto automatically convert it, then, um, you know, that's huge. So you this may not be your level of expertise, but you mentioned Web3 and payments earlier. So. Is there anything that you see like bankers, what they should know or start looking for in relationship to cryptocurrency and Web3 and banking? So, yeah, we've been very heads down on these enterprise crypto use cases. I, I am not an expert like long term with Web3. Um, however, I think starting to adopt the solutions that we're talking about now and getting the right compliance measures in place so you can take advantage of a lot of the new value that Web3 is going to unlock is really the building blocks that we're trying to get in place right now. I still think it's you know still early. So a lot of these advanced use cases and um, ways to take advantage of Web3 are still being developed currently. Um, and so if you're getting the the core, you know, buy, sell, hold and like payments use cases in place and having the right infrastructure and compliance measures built around that, you're going to be really well positioned to um, to compete much more effectively in the next few years as that continues to evolve. Yeah, thank you for listening to the Paper Podcast today. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe and share. 
Um, I really enjoyed talking to Keon today. Um, you know, there are things, you know, bankers, you have, you may have fear of missing out on the cryptocurrency, but, you know, don't always go look to see, you know, don't go to the easiest provider that you see every bank searching on to really dig in, look who the vendors are. You know, if you're going to offer these services, you want to offer the best services to your customers. Um, please, you know, add some comments. Let me know if there's any deeper dives in this. You want to hear any questions, please um, comment, um, s send me an email, find me. Um, you know, thanks. Have a great day.